We are not heroes, nor are we villains. Neither kings nor magicians, but we can tell you their stories. We are the Lore Keepers, and we welcome you to Halloween. Welcome to Halloumé. You, uh, damn it. Wow. <laughs> Welcome to Halloumé After Hours. We're, you know, we're at the beach. I got my shades on. Carter's across from me. You know, we're just, uh, we're relaxed. You know, we're. Yeah, uh, I have my one shoulder speedo. Yep. It's called a banana hammock. <laughs> That's a different thing. A banana hammock <laughs> is a very different thing. You, what you're talking about is more like a piece of gum that like. <laughs> is strapped around the left hand. I don't understand that, man. It's like a garter. It's like a garter that's stretchy and fits around your dick. But also, it wraps around the ass. Yeah, ass garter. Yeah. <laughs> um, you're listening to Lore Keepers, the boundless venture, the world-renowned podcasting opus, wherein the richest tapestry of lore in human history is being sung into being before your very ear holes. I'm Frank. I'm Garter. And we're on vacation, kinda. But even on vacation, people still gotta people still gotta work, people still gotta eat, people still gotta podcast, as though we're getting paid a single dime for any of this. Now nah, we do it just out of the pleasure of our own banana hammocks. Um <laughs> Jesus. Um anyways, yeah, so we're holy shit, what if this is somebody's first episode? I always ask that question to myself. What if this is someone's first episode? Yeah, wow, that would be uh, rough. I guess we kind of explained what this already is. And we're, yeah, we're off season. You might already know that if you're a listener. Um, we're, we're entering into our third week of, uh, of freewheeling, question answering. Gumshoeing. Gum, gumshoeing. Gum on the, on the genitals fun. Fuck. Okay, but this so this week, man, you know what? It's a lot harder to start the episode when you don't finish the intro because when you don't finish the intro, like you don't have that transition space. All right, let me give it a shot. See if this uh, this this helps us get into the mindset. So whether you melt jewelry in volcanoes, burn steel to usurp the carrion throne or crit on your gray warden to kick kickflip. It is that we switched it from (laughs) flopping. Sit a while by our fire. A weary wanderer, and let us weave you a tale. It's some, some weird energy. I feel a little punchy, you know? I don't know. I, something, something feels... Maybe it's just that we're recording on a Saturday instead of a Sunday? Maybe it's the banana hammocks. I mean, I am... Dude, I almost wish I was wearing them, but actually, dude, my ass cheeks would be so sweaty in this, <laughs> um, in this plastic office chair. <laughs> if I was fucking just wearing that. Ugh. And... Also, there's like these little holes. It's like one of those Ikea office chairs. Oh, when I yeah. sit in this, with, like with a bare butt for uh, for too long, it looks like I've been like hanging out with squids. <laughs> just like a bunch of puckering all over my ass. You need, to, you need to treat yourself, Frank. Get yourself an actual office chair. 
I have been saying that for like 18 months at this point. It's just um, like a couple hundred bucks. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I really just need to do it. I mean, I think, I think I just need to do it. I, there's no, expl- there's no explanation just, needed. Just do it. Just I just need it. to do it. But before, before, before I you get spend a bunch of money, jump, jump into that side of things. Yeah. I think that, uh, instead we're gonna, we're gonna maybe do a little bit of podcasting here. So this week, the content that you actually came to listen to and not listening to me talk about what my ass looks like <laughs> sitting bare on a chair for too long. Uh, no, you came to listen to some stuff about Halume. And this week we are going to be uh, talking. We're, we're continuing our approach to sort of being like this is in between seasons. Um, next season might not begin until, I don't know, sometime. Honestly, by the time that episodes get released, probably like first month into the school year, like October or something. I don't know. We don't know. It, it depends on how much content we got going on here. Um, but yeah, we want to take a break from the seasonal focus on just one thing or one topic. And, bet- you know, between the cheeks. No. Right. Uh, really a between. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> uh, uh, I mean, well, between this is audio the- garbage. So, you know, I can I can I can make the con- connection there. Uh, no, it's we're just giving ourselves a wider appetizer plate approach to to the content. And um, one of the things that we want to be able to explore in God, I cannot think about this in any other way as being in an ass crack, which sucks <laughs> so hard. You you did this, Carter. You did this. I did. No. OK, I, j- I no more prefacing, whatever. We're talking about whims. This week and we're talking things. about whims and other things, but specifically, okay. So what is a whim? Um, it it shows up a lot in Halume. Um, at, at first, to answer just to answer the question, it's like a parcel of magic. You can basically think of it um, in the same used, way that a um, a photon is a packet of light. Yeah, kind of. I think whims are are generally seen as more like. Uh, almost like molecular then um it's it's more like an assembly of magical energy than it is like the smallest unit or something that's how i've always thought of them like a whim is more i almost imagine like like sort of uh like a thick you almost like you can imagine like a, a uh, what's the word a scarf like a kind of see-through scarf passing uh, by you if you could look into the magisphere and see magic, I I was more just imagining it's kind of like the, something of that parcel size would be considered a whim. So yeah, what a, a whim is is basically yeah, it's a, it's a unit of magical energy. It's not of any particular size or anything. It's not like something that you know um, magicians are using to weigh or do scientific arcane investigations. Um, but it is understood by magicians and by the public. Uh, you know, just the average person as being like a chunk of magical energy harnessed by somebody. Um, it doesn't necessarily need to be harnessed by uh, people. That's actually part of the question and part of what we want to get into this week is is kind of giving it a little bit more definition. Is this personal or is this something that could come from the rest of the natural magical world? Is it something that's harnessed? Is it something that's applied? Be- and here's why. Whims aren't necessarily, 
I mean, this is kind of the question. They are they magic or not? Because magic and what we tra traditionally think of as magic being harnessed by a sorcerer or a warlock or a wizard or, you know, any of your other spellcasters or just, you know, what we call a magician and a whim might not necessarily be the same things, or if they are, then maybe we have a different name for, for what it is when a person who's not a magic caster is harnessing magical energy. So to, to, to understand where I'm coming from with this, all you have to think about is imagine the level 17 or 18 barbarian who is still able to keep toe-to-toe -to -toe with magicians um, you know, wizards at, at, at level 18. And yet they are, they are not, they're still mortal. Like they're still, there's nothing has changed about their physique or whatever. They've just advanced levels, which I guess, you know, kind of is a stand in for like abilities growing in an experience, like learning more things or encountering things in the world and having solutions for them. That starts to push the boundaries of like and narrative limits because other people who aren't adventurers might only have four hit points to their for their entire life even though they've spent years traveling and have like uh, you know abilities that wouldn't be considered like combat abilities and stuff so in the world of Helame, how this is kind of explained is that there's this in world element of a, a barbarian to access their rage is harnessing the magical energy within themselves, or maybe it's like almost like proto magical because it hasn't quite yet become magic in the way that it gets stored or something in, 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 in your soul. I'm not, I don't know. We don't necessarily need to get that deep in it, but something is happening there where they're using that to activate an ability that we call rage that changes the way that like the world interacts with on almost like a metastical level. So, yeah, I mean, I think, does that make sense? Am I articulating this well? There are things that people can do that aren't magical abilities, and yet they seem beyond what a mortal should be able to do. Yeah, and they are extraordinary, they're extraordinary yeah. abilities, and, but it doesn't say on the tin that they're magical. And right. I think what we're going with here is that if you have an extraordinary ability, it's most likely connected to magic, in some mm -hmm. way it's not you're not casting a spell right that's not what's happening but it is in a very narrow sense magical mm -hmm. yeah by it's sort of like most foundational definition the thing that you're doing is technically interacting with the magisphere on some way or like i mean maybe it's not even that because like is your soul and your kind of internal system if you will like kind of the ecosystem the magical e in the same way that we have organs and you know sort of like an, our own biosphere within us it's like there's a magisphere within us of the spirit soul and body that are interacting with each other you're not necessarily drawing from the magisphere in the same way that a spellcaster does to cast spells because that energy comes from without yourself like outside of yourself this is drawing on that which has already been stored up in you in the same way that somebody is drawing on spell slots, but you're not marking off spells or anything. Um, yes. So yeah, you, that's kind of the gist. Yeah. The, uh, and for a moment, I want to go a little bit fundamental here and talk about why this makes sense. Why it makes sense that magic can affect 
a barbarian's body or like why a barbarian is using magic mm-hmm. to affect their body instead of just like really buff it, one there's the obvious answer that you can't really be that buff it's just not possible but yeah without no amount of buffness will account effect. for 350 hit points or whatever the yeah. fuck they get towards the end it's, it gets exactly. insane so that's the one thing but the second thing i want to say is much more interesting much more important which is magic in Halime is a fundamental force of the cosmos of right. Halime. it is like light or gravity or all this different stuff like energy it is a kind of energy yeah so just like light just like the movement of um you know atoms that being heat just like that's a form of energy magic as a whim or as a spell is a form of energy and so the barbarian can utilize this power this energy that is in the form of magic in their soul or whatever part of themselves stores magic mm-hmm. to enhance fact, it would be the soul yeah yeah that's in their soul to enhance their physical capabilities but they're mm-hmm. not doing it by casting a spell they're not doing it by some you know technique they learned in a school they're doing it naturally right yes and that's the key yeah uh, uh just just okay if we are gonna if because we're gonna get into the nitty-gritty a little bit just to give you just a, a refresher or if you're if you've never heard this before ge- generally how magic works in in Helume is magic is carried i don't think we need to go into the whole ecosystem of how it starts from the arcane sea we actually i think actually talked about that last week some so yeah uh or no that was two weeks ago you're right Um, it was two weeks ago yeah uh but uh um within the self the way that a person uh gathers up magical energy is that they're born with you have a spirit and then you have a soul uh your spirit is basically something that tethers you to the mortal coil to reality uh your soul it specifically tethers your soul. Your soul starts out as basically like a little nugget that doesn't have a lot of uh, identity or 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 connection to reality. And over time, it starts to gain experiences, and those experiences get tinted by whatever magical energies happen to happen to be passing through the magosphere at that time. So <clears throat> it could be uh, uh, any of the nine different dispositions. Um, or temperaments it could be that they uh like so you know maybe let's we'll just say that charity is passing over and so like the way that your experiences get affected by charity and charity like and seeing the world through charitable ways further strengthens that connection with charity which in turn makes you more susceptible to experiencing things uh through the lens of like giving and taking a desire to be needed um by a community um that sort of thing and then that strengthens that rootness in you. And it, and it, you can almost think of it as like, this is again, uh, it's, it's just nothing but weird metaphors here. But if you imagine like a paper towel and you set a paper towel down to the way that it picks up water, right? Imagine that life experiences are <laughs> an ever enlarging like ball of paper towels that like, or paper towels like floating down a river and getting caught on something. And the more of them you have, the, it enlarges this ball and it, it, it increases the amount of water that that ball is holding. And the water in this in this uh, 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 
uh, metaphor is magic. So like as it picks up more water, as you have more life experiences, you can then hold more of the nine flow within yourself, specifically the thing, the one flow that you like are drawing from. And then that then changes how much of that energy you can access any given day. Yeah, and a part of the a part of this is it's not merely life experience that guarantees this because there are many people that are, will never be level one, but will live a full life. And a mm-hmm. part of it is that maybe they're not dealing with life or death situations all the time. Yeah, I think that there's a little bit of narrative hand waviness there yeah. that it's like it's kind of a, you know, uh, supporting cast until main character kind of approach. Um, yes, but I would say that generally, yes, the kind of it's it's there's nothing inherently special about an adventurer. I think it has more to do with how people respond to the events in their lives. Like, does it change them? Does it affect them? Does it does it grow them? Are they self-aware of these different things that they're interacting with? And does that. Because, yeah, I can imagine like there's plenty of NPCs, if you want to call them that, who might just be like you know, in an artisan, they've just been brewing beer for the last. Their family's been brewing beer for the last many years and, you know, and, and they. They take it into a whole new direction because of their self-reflectiveness or whatever. They become aware enough where like they actually are changing the way that their beer is made, where literally they're accessing the whims within themselves to. Notice maybe it enhances their palate, you know what I mean? And like, they're able to taste something that's different about the hops and like enhances the beer. And so it's like, it it doesn't necessarily need to be some crazy powerful adventurer. You could have somebody who's, it's just that they're not level 20 in combat stuff or in like, you know, adventuring they're level 20 in making beer. And so like, you know, they've, they've like almost are ascended, but it's specifically this one honed thing that they're doing with their life. That's yeah. right. I like that. Yeah. Level 20 sommelier. <laughs> exactly. Just, oh, that's, I love it. Bottle, I love I, it. Okay. I, you know, hints, hints of chocolate. Yeah. Share, share me your, uh, your, your one page tabletop where it's like Stardew Valley meets D and D and all you're doing is you just become a level 20 vintist. Vin, I don't know what you call that person who makes Vinter. Vinter. That's what it is. Yeah. So it's okay. Explanation finished. Sorry, go ahead, Carter. Yeah, so let's let's re- go back to our barbarian here. Mm-hmm. Um they have several special abilities. I'm sure they have a subclass that does all uh, and more weird shit. But mm-hmm. the the key thing we're getting at here is That's funny. I sorry, I I made a joke that only myself will get cuz it's all in my head. That was weird. Um only what? Uh, you'll get do it in time. Uh, okay. So the key, the thing that's key here <laughs> is that the barbarian is utilizing the magical nature of their soul, which everyone has this magical nature in their soul, mm-hmm. to do something extraordinary, and they've learned to do this through their experience. Mm-hmm. And that as they get more experience in what they do, being a barbarian, getting hit, shrugging off pain, ignoring they- damage to their body, they can do it better. Right. And, you know, this explains the power of the rage. And as they, you know, go open level in D&D, you get more hit points. And a part of that is you have an understanding of how to fight better so you can dodge 
better you can if you get hit you know you know how to take the blow such that it won't injure you dramatically that's all rolled in there but it's also this magical nature is literally like making you tougher in a way yeah it's it like almost it's it's almost okay so there is there is something this is me straight up stealing something from c.s lewis's space trilogy um which if you haven't read it uh, and don't mind some Judeo-Christian overtones, like it's pretty fucking good. It's really it's really something. Um, uh, the in the second book, he talks that like there are like archangels and stuff and they talk about the great dance. And it's this it's C.S. Lewis expounding on sort of a worldview of what he sees and, and imagines like reality to be, um, which is this dance of an infinite number of partners and it involves every atom every uh, person every individual every character every star every plant everything um and that at any given moment the whole purpose of the dance is like this moving and flowing interaction between all different things uh and in his mind it's like to give glory to god but like whatever however you approach it it's like that everything is the focal point of why everything was made at any given point. And as things shift and change in the dance, like there become new sort of like major players or, or whatever. I definitely like draw heavily from that in, in the way that I imagine Halume as, as being this like quote unquote great dance where with the barbarian, what it might be is there's almost this play, like, like their dance partner is reality itself. And that, when they are in their rage and in their form, like reality itself sort of like bends a nod to them and allows them to take the lead through the through the patterns, through the motions, the movements. And as a result, things it's not quite like twisting reality because that sort of suggests that reality is being manipulated. It's more like escorting reality through the motions and as a result things just kind of happen to become larger than life remember that halime in and of itself the i mean reality halime as we describe it as like the multiverse or i guess it's not really a multiverse but it's like multi-planar universe in and of itself is characterized like own made it to have a, a, a nature a, a disposition of its of its own or an infinite you know infinitely faceted you know single nature with many many different lenses through which you can see it and so that nature is it wants to create these you know heightened stories and has have these like main characters or or people who you know have glorious highs or whatever like it's it's as though reality itself is participating fully in the story of each individual's lives and so whether you're a bartender who just happens to be making this legendary brew or um, the barbarian who is fighting valiantly or, or with a frenzy, um, it is the intent of reality to enforce, not enforce is the wrong word, but to like elevate and encourage the cultivation of these, of these like myths, these stories, you know, what the things that become the tales that people tell later, epics, if you will. So and I so wanna... that's like what's happening when people are drawing on their whims is it's, yeah. it's like it force and power from the universe itself given to the individual to allow them to have access to it. So th there's one thing I want to bring up, Frank, which is 
there might be different ways that barbarians or fighters or you know these uh, these non-magical quote-unquote classes mm-hmm. utilize their um, innate magical power. Yes, definitely. A part of this might be definitely. that they strengthen their physical body via their soul, imbuing their very you know physicality with magic um, in a way that is undetectable by a mage attempting mm-hmm. to look for a spell. Like there's mm-hmm. no spell going on. Um, and this, I think, happens a lot with monks. Monks do a lot of this with key, which is a combination of bodily energy and magical energy in a perfect right. union, which is what they're trained to do. Monks mm-hmm. are meant to train for balance and all this stuff. But there Can- is another way I wanted to talk about okay. that, uh, um, that a fighter or a barbarian could utilize this energy, not merely to, to enhance their physicality, but instead, as an explanation for hit points or an explanation for rage in this instance, uh, it could be, and tell me how you, how you feel about this, that they kind of, what's the word? They project their soul into the physical plane as a barrier between their squishy bits and Ooh. their enemy's weapons. As almost yeah. like, a, like, a, like a force field. I that I like okay cuz this is I really like Carter uh and I like wh- like th- 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 this is one of the things that we were trying to figure out is like what exactly is happening with these different ways that people are whim weaving and like it's different for everybody like it, it can be completely different versions of what that looks like and I'm I'm kind of I'm of two minds here I'm first of all we know that not every barbarian gets their power from the same place and even even of the same subclass you know it's like every individual can be different in in how we want to portray that or whatever you know um but the question is do we want to make it that rage what we think of as rage is this specific manifestation and use of the magical energies of the, or I guess we'll just call them the whims, manipulating the whims in a certain way that looks like the you know the protecting yourself because I don't dislike that idea. I think that's potentially really interesting. Or do we say the whim weaving of rage is like an umbrella term that describes a lot of different ways that people are interacting with with magic? I think I actually lean towards the former. I actually like making these a little bit more distinct because. Oh. I think that having sort of uh, like it might, you know, let's say there's like three discrete effects. You know, you could almost say uh, uh, if if we go down this path, that rage manifested as this is what it looks like. The reason here's here's why I think that that's actually maybe a better way of going about it than saying there's sort of this narrative looseness. Like I'm not against if I was a DM and I was DMing a game where somebody said, I, you know, okay, I heard this episode or whatever. And I don't hate that idea, but I was actually thinking doing this other thing. That's fine. I'd probably, I'd I'd be totally okay to go with it because I think that there's, you can almost imagine there's almost like a family of, of different manifestations of what this rage could look like. But I like the idea of the rage being attached to, um, these things because in the same way that reality itself likes to make these distinct characters, 
I imagine, you know, when everything has a character identity, rage itself would have distinction. It would have identity, you know, sort of an edge to it. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I would totally do that, though. I like the idea of them, like, projecting their soul energy in these, like, if you were to slow down the tape and you were to watch frame by frame as, uh, like, a knife or a sword slash comes uh, coming down on the barbarian, you'd almost just see this tiny flash of energy or something if you had the Magisphere filter turned on, where almost like a whip of energy comes out from within their soul, wherever that is in the body or whatever, and like manifests to the surface and like blocks the strike and then drops and sort of like sinks back in. Because um, I can also imagine it if like, you know, the other effects that we have as rage is like, here's the bullet points are, I think you have advantage on saving throws for things for, for like dexterity savings throws that I you can see. I think it's strength and it might be dex, but it's definitely strength. They have advantage on strength saving throws for sure. Whatever that is, it's like you could also see as that stuff happens, like an activation of like mental acuity energy or something lighting up the brain or something like that. Um, I like that idea. Yeah, but the question is like, could we, that's also could be used as a general kind of um, description of how hit points work. Hit points could be that everyone has this kind of soul extension or or i was saying projection such that um when you get bloodied when you're at half hit points that is when you have exhausted how much your soul can protect you and you're now down to dip dive dodging and using you you know trying to use your physical athletic prowess to stop your body from being harmed okay that's super cool and if i was ever to create like a halloumian version of dnd i think i'd probably lean on that Honestly, I'm fine uh, for the for for the listener and for you, Carter, whoever wants to be in Carter's camp of interpreting hit points that way. I think that's awesome. I say go with God like that's pretty fucking cool. I think I've always just interpreted hit points as being like a narrative element more than like something that is discreet. Um, like that's the thing. Oh, 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 like zooming out for a second, whether we're talking about barbarians, whim weaving as rage or or any other form of that. I, it's not actually super important to me to describe what exactly is happening in the Magisphere when, like, that thing gets activated as much as sort of, like, what's happening on a, like, a metaphysical level. So, like, if you want to describe it that way and that that's what's going on with hit points, I think that's really a really fucking cool idea. But I think for me, on a practical level, if I was running a game of D&D, that could start to create some fraught complications um, if I didn't fully like actually build that intentionally into the way that it works. So it's like, cause it's like, oh, do you not have rage then when you're, you know, bloodied or do you, you know, uh, yeah, like, I, I, I don't know. I think that that's, I really like the idea. Um, I like the idea of having different pools of hit points, make things more complicated, you know, <laughs> or, or where they're coming from. But yeah, for me, I think personally, I just approach it as, uh, it's more of just a narrative element of you're 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 starting to it's you're starting to hurt. It could yeah. I mean, you know, hit points could literally just represent you have uh combat experience. And as a result, what would have been if you were a level one, the slash that comes down from a level 15 
you know, or a challenge rating 15 creature would do. Well, the 30 hit points that it would do then would be enough to kill you because you don't know how to handle it and you're not fast enough or whatever. Whereas 30 hit points when you're a barbarian at level 15 is it hurts, but like you've learned enough to like twist out of the way or just like just barely cuts you or whatever. And I feel like that's how people typically approach that stuff when running a game of D&D too is is it's like it's relative to how much how much damage they're able to take. Yeah. Okay, I feel like we talked enough about uh, barbarians, though, and maybe we like. I mean, we're we're probably actually starting to to get on in time here. We're going to be recording a couple of shorter episodes here. Um, I think we got fifteen. Yeah, like yeah, we. So I, I figured we kind of open it up to the reason why we we brought this out to talk about was because one, I like the idea of having some dis- uniquely Halumian manifestations of like whim and what that looks like. Um, and by the way, the reason why it's called whim, or at least the way I've always interpreted it is like the person, the persona of Halume itself has whims and it's like harnessing those whims or taking advantage of like a moment that makes sense and using it to your favor. Appealing to Halume itself, if you will. The, uh, but yeah, like I was thinking like we could, uh, I, I don't know what you want to do, but I was thinking also, if, if there's other definitions or things that we need to do, or maybe what are some other versions of whim weaving, we can also talk about the ones that are like kind of codified within like the player's handbook and stuff too. I don't know. Where yeah. do you want to go? I think let's go, let's talk about two things I want to visit. I want to go, we talked about combat and fighting and hit points and all that stuff. I want two, two things that I want to talk about there from 5th edition D&D. A bard's jack of all trades and a rogue's um, like sneak or or their proficiency. It's the thing that enables them to it's their reliability thing. Oh, where it's like below, like when you make a roll, you basically can't roll worse than your. 10 plus whatever. Yeah, yeah. Let me, I'll quickly yeah. look that up. Um, it's basically a permanent passive. Reliable talent. Reliable talent. Yeah, How does that work? Any, can you, can, yeah. What, treat any roll uh, nine or below as a 10. Okay. So yeah, it's just saying, is that literally any roll or is that just skill checks? That is, uh, when you make an ability check that lets you add your proficiency bonus. Okay, gotcha. So that doesn't yeah. extend to attack rolls or saving throws. Yeah. Or uh, or ability checks where you're not proficient. Man, I mean... So let's start with bards. Okay. Jack of all trades. So if a bard is not proficient with the skill, they add half their proficiency bonus. I think rounded down. Right. Yeah. So they are just... They have a knack. They're good at any skill... Yeah, and I think that this is meant to evoke sort of the world, uh, like world knowledge of like, you know, having traveled a bunch or, you know, you. But it it has to be more than just that, because that bonus can be huge, like that can be when you're talking the later levels and you have like a plus four proficiency bonus. That means you're essentially the equivalent of, you know, early adventures, but you're proficient in literally everything. Yep. And that's that changes a lot. 
Uh, plus, they have other stuff like that, too, I feel like. They can pick up expertises yep. and stuff. They can inspire themselves at a later level. Right. That was actually the other thing I was going to say is like, we should probably figure out what's happening with inspiration too. Sure. Because, you know, that's one of those things that always felt like it was a magical thing, but it's in this situation, what I like about it is you're not actually keeping it to yourself. It's not something that's inherently affecting you. It's actually something that you are granting like this favor to somebody else and they hold on to it and then expend it later. Like, I like the uh, imagining that it's literally as though there's almost some something that's occupying space in your mind and you can feel it as this inspiration in in a specific moment. You're literally like draining and drawing from that to enhance what you're doing, um, which is like granting. I mean, maybe it's like the 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 whim of granting or something. I don't know. We could even have I these, think like, it's the connected. whim of rage. I think it's I think it's intimately connected with the relationships between mm-hmm. people and so the, the bard is necessarily uh, kind of involved with manipulating their relationship with other people such that they can inspire people using their own soul as like a... As a hearth that somebody else can draw heat from. Yeah, yeah, that's a good, that's a good analogy. Or Yeah, I'm, I'm full of them today. Similarly. Are they good? I don't know. I mean, but I've got them. <laughs> yeah. So that involves, you know, as we've talked about conductors, weavers and binders, that's a binder thing, right? Because you're you're utilizing your connection to another mm-hmm. person through the relationship you've built with them. Yes. I've always viewed bar- uh, bards as being primarily a, a binder thing. Um, what do you think is happening with the reliable talent and the uh, the jack of all trades stuff? Like, and we can talk about them distinctly if there's one you prefer to focus on. So I think we can fall back on the binder situation. Okay. With the bard and that they have a connection to, and that this is something that their class fosters, especially a connection to other people through their okay. travels. They, they talk to people, they understand people. Mm. And through this, they can like magically pick up other people's skills, not not substantially, but just a little bit. And once you're so powerful at these super high levels where you get, you know, stored an opportunity for an opportune moment. I like that. Yeah, exactly. And so it's the kind of thing where a bard's like, oh, I've met a blacksmith before. I've spoken Mm -hmm. to them about their craft. And because of the magical energy within me and because of the relationship I forged, even though it was a fleeting relationship, like mm-hmm. it's stuck with me. And that's like literally has there's something where it's attached itself to both to my soul and enhanced a part of my mind. There's like some recess somewhere where that that bit is is stored away. So as the whim strikes, it's like it activates and flares up that memory. And you like in the moment, you're like, oh, I know how to forge this thing better or whatever it is that you're trying to do. Yeah. I and like I think, that. I think that explains that where it's like. It's literally about the relationship of the bard with the people that they meet. Mm-hmm. I like that a lot. Okay, that's cool. Um, so the rogue. Then. Yeah, yeah. We should we should just do the rogue then. Um, not reliable talent. So rogues, they're they're inherently more like rogues are very attentive. Like they're they're all they're all eyes. They're all about paying attention to the world, processing information, making sense of the world around them, and then using that to their advantage. I think that reliable talent is maybe a conductor situation 
where in the moment, instead of, um, which we've just blazed past those, but conductors, weavers, and binders is basically how you interact with magic. So conductors are drawing magical energy from directly around them. Weavers are, uh, they don't necessarily, it, it's, it's almost like a mini age spell. When you use a spell book or whatever, and you have like inscriptions and things, that is a form of weaving. There are also, so maybe we have like, I don't know, whimduction, whim binders and whim weavers or is maybe, I don't know, whatever. That's now I'm just making shit up. Um, but like basically that and like clerics are another good example of a, of a weaver or a binder potentially. But like a weaver is like, like doing rites and rituals and things to draw favor from, from your, from your God. Sorcerers um, are, I think, typically conductors. Uh, yeah, I mean, it depends on what their origin is. Uh, uh, this is the thing: is there's no one class is necessarily tied to warlocks are more binders, but could also yep. be other things. Yeah, warlocks are a classic binder. They're like sort of an archetypical magician who is a binder because uh, what a binder is is somebody who's drawing from empathic energy. So it's literally your relationship with other people. We initially talked about this with uh, like the tide pools, the ancestral tide pools which we haven't talked about in forever. And I think that's something we should probably do an episode about during this break, this uh, inter interseason break. Um, but like basically like having a shared collective experience that you kind of share with, with people around you or that you literally share an ancestry with. Um, and as a result can draw on that energy. And so like what we were, what we were talking about with, um, Carter was talking about with the blacksmith and the bard and the the bard drawing on that energy is them literally being able to cast a spell because of their relationship to the person. Yeah, I think that, but I think that a rogue is, it's more likely that that's like a conduction type activity because it is them responding to what is directly around them. And then oftentimes in a quick moment is adjusting things based on that. So but it's not necessarily magical. So like, I mean, it's actually, we're saying it's explicitly non-magical. I, I, you could probably have a magical equivalent of it, but it manifests differently. What are you saying is non-magical? The reliable talent. Well, no. By its, by its nature as a, as a whim thing, it's not, well, I guess it's technically magical, but you know, it, it's magical in the way that whim, whimduction. Whimcraft. Whimcraft, <laughs> world of Whimcraft. Yeah, there you go. Is 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 magical? Yeah, so it, it's magical in a very you know, uh, non-technical sense. It's not yeah. magical in the spell sense or the wizard sense, or ironically, maybe in the most technical sense. But yeah. it doesn't look like magic in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, it is. Okay, like what's the it? Barbarian. Let's let's do this. Uh, let's say they're making an arcana check, something that a rogue wouldn't necessarily have any sense why they should be good at. What is happening in them? What's their so do they or around them? Uh, let's say they don't. Let's say this is a completely unexposed thing and they roll less than a 10, um, but they end up getting a 10. But they don't because they don't have proficiency. Oh, it's only stuff that you're proficient only in? Only stuff that you're proficient Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, let's just say that they do have proficiency okay. in the Arcana check. So that they've trained in this. 
And so what is their reliable talent doing for them? Like, how does that look when they... Yeah, I mean... Like... So, so Arcana is an intelligence check. So Arcana mm-hmm. is about recalling lore about magic. It's a mental activity in a way. More so than it is physical. Yeah, I mean, maybe that's that they have these kind of permanent reservoirs or semi-permanent reservoirs of embedded... Like, it's almost like an expansion slot on the brain kind of thing going on where there are certain things about arcana it might not even be that it might be let's say it's an acrobatics check you know and it's the way that the 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 body would behave in that moment there are certain things that they will always remember how to do a little bit and and this the whims as it's grown out and filled these experiences these are experiences are you know filled with these different moments that they're drawing on and it allows them to do this this reliable talent i think that's maybe what's going on there does that make sense yeah i'm trying to think so i'm i'm imagining like a rogue without reliable talent they're too low level they do a backflip they can they have you know a plus five to acrobatics they can do backflips all Mm -hmm. day long it's easy for them but Mm -hmm. the one time when they roll poorly right where luck is not on their side where they slip on that first, you know, kickback. Mm-hmm. And it was just because the, of the way the floor was, or maybe their shoe just suddenly, like, you know, slipped its sole. Um, whatever the case, they fall. No amount ass. of technique. Yeah, no amount of technique would fix that. But the, the rogue that has reliable talent, that doesn't happen for whatever reason. Or it does happen, and somehow magically, they can accommodate for that technique. Or they can... When they- Mm-hmm. reliable sorry go ahead and finish your, your your thought here my thought is like what is the difference there what is what is their reliable talent doing i think it's magical it, ha- it kind of has to be because there are gonna mm-hmm. be times when you're gonna be unlucky but the rogue when they have reliable talent they are not unlucky or okay or they are unlucky and they can magically compensate and this i think is the thing that sages will have philosophical debates about because I think I might have an answer for you. All right. It's that the world itself is providing the solution. And so, so what it would be, this might be one of those examples of a a little bit of like manipulating reality where something, let's say they, they trip and slip and they would have, maybe they slip completely and it gets adjusted then, or it's something in the trip itself but like the world responds to them and 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 almost like reaches out and adjusts their trajectory. Maybe a huge, a tremendous gust of wind that's, you know, comes out of nowhere out of the sky and dips down and like, you know, finishes them as as though it was always going to be there or whatever. Like yeah. that gust of wind has was always going to pass through, but it just happened to pass through at the right time, which is I don't know. That's that doesn't make any sense. I think maybe a good example, Frank, if you like this one is Imagine you're a rogue, you're proficient in sneaking, and you have reliable talent. And mm-hmm. you roll that too, but it gets turned to a 10 because you have reliable talent. And so what mm-hmm. that looks like is you're stealthing now, through the re- bush. Really quick, does the 10 mean that that's your final roll, or it's a 10 plus your proficiency? Plus proficiency. Oh, you, wow, yeah, that's yeah. good. Yeah, <laughs> you got reliable talent is crazy. Like, you know... Yeah, reliable talent roll, is very good. Not was rolling like... I don't know, 21s guaranteed or something. Oh my God, yeah. with, their, with, with her sneak? Yeah. yeah. 
It's, it's crazy. stealth check. Yeah, I believe that. But what That's I'm imagining crazy. with the, the stealth rogue here is that they step on that twig in that forest and it makes a sound. It's a loud sound. But then that, you know, that dire toad goes at the same time, covering up the sound. Yeah. Yep. Yes. I like that as is. Yes. The world itself is responding. And so this is why I think the sages would have, you know, philosophical debates about it, because I think it's something. Is it magical? Is the rogue doing something magical? Because I think what's happening is something in the the whims from within themselves is almost like reaching out and drawing or making an interaction with the world around them. Now, this I, I wouldn't necessarily qualify this as binder activity because it's not an empathic relationship with the dire toad. It seems conducting. It's, but it's like, yes, it's like almost like you think of lightning as being uh, what we see as lightning is not actually striking the ground. It is the ground releasing electrons and the sky releasing electrons and like really uh, and burning the air and you know as a result creating light energy but they're meeting in the middle and so i'm almost imagining like it's literally drawing from the nearby environment and they strike together and cause sort of this this change in reality where where the dire toad croaks or whatever at the exact right moment so i will say frank slight slight amendment there uh it's a it's a negative charge typically and then a positive charge from the ground so it would be electrons and then yeah my bad thank you thank you for the correction um i'm a a big big fan of lightning especially positive (laughs) oh you should you should be around here right now there's a plenty of really cool lightning strikes yeah but but yeah absolutely that's exactly what it is and i think that uh one way to think about it is have you ever slipped on a staircase, Frank. Uh, yes. And then you caught yourself on the railing. Uh, well, I, I, I slammed my butt like okay. four stairs down and then caught myself on the railing. Have you ever slipped and immediately caught yourself? I'm like, oh, shit. Yes. Yes, I have. That's what it is for the rogue. They slip mm-hmm. or they step on that branch and they reach out magically or, you mm-hmm. know. Oh, yeah. I like that. That's really good. Yes. And in that moment, it's 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 magical action yeah but they don't choose to do it they don't choose right it It just happens right and so then the sage is asking well you know they are the source of it you know if it if it weren't up to them or you know if they weren't there then the spell wouldn't have been cast and then the other says well yes but it wasn't them casting the spell because there wasn't an intent behind it and a third says well it doesn't matter because you know it was still you know it was still there and a fourth is basically saying it's that you are thinking you are not thinking of the system large enough out the the rogue is a part of a larger system the system creates the spell but the rogue is not inherently responsible for it because also the dire toad is is a part of it too so like the system is is you know magical but neither individual element there of that system is magical by itself yeah i will say that the 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 specific wording on reliable talent says you can Oh, you can choose to treat a roll of nine or below as a ten. I will specify, uh, may go even further down there, and I will say you. The you in that in in this in question here is the player, that not is the true. character. So in world, if if it doesn't happen, wow, well, that's like tree falls in the forest, nobody's there to hear it. Kind of questions where. I, when we get to that point, I think we might actually have to start wrapping up the episode. Yep, I think I think <laughs> um, so. 
So before we go, though, I did want to actually just touch on we didn't really get to the point where we're probably gonna have to do a, a revisiting of this revisiting somewhere down the road, because I would love to come up with some more specific Halloumian ones with you. Some other versions. Here's the thing. Some other versions of whim weaving fucking uh, telepathy is not an inherently magical thing. And yet a lot of psionic power, I, I think maybe. And this is the question. Is that part of whim weaving? or whatever we call that, whimcraft? Or is that a different thing entirely? And if so, what's the power source there? How does that happen? Um, and because not all telepathy is psionic in nature either. We actually, we've talked about specifically, we've had a, a, an episode in the past about psionic and it has to do with like mental discipline or something like yeah. that. Um, you, you but do also- You not require magical talent. Yeah. Some people's dark vision is not ma it's not magical in the way that they're casting a spell called dark vision yeah. but they do have the ability to see things that they shouldn't because of the whims and it's built into like their ancestry yeah i mean like there's a lot of versions of this that aren't just like in the moment you know changing changing uh things but literally like a manifest like you can see it on your face kind of whim like, I, I, I want, honestly, I would say that the wings of an ASMR might actually be whim weaving. Or, I don't know, that's maybe a question. Uh, the, the ability for an Aarakocra to f fly might be also somewhat whim weaving, like they're assisted by whims or something. I'm not really even sure what that would look like. Maybe that's not true. This is the kind of stuff we'd have to revisit. <laughs> yeah, my, my takeaway here, Frank is and I, I don't want you to answer this i'm going to leave this out there for us mm -hmm. to pick up later mm -hmm. what's the difference between the way a barbarian enhances their body or a fighter enhances their body with magic what's the difference between that and key the way a monk does it yes something elephant in the room that we did not address at all that we'll have to talk about in the future is key is it a version of I'm actually just going to say right now, I don't think that it's a whim. I think that it's its own entire thing because there's no anima involved in whim. whim weaving. it's purely just like drawing on magical energy. Yes. Maybe psionic stuff is drawn from anima. I don't know. I and key say, by as it's it is literally its own power source. It's a third yeah. version. It's like that's a fusion of the two where both cease to be and then key is born of it. Yeah, I will say, don't forget that. Anima can affect magic, and magic can affect anima. Yes. But and key is the combination of them together into fused a different kind of energy. Yes. It is a synthesis that requires both of them as like, you know, elements, but then creates a third thing all of its own. And only people with only the knowing can actually accomplish it. Because I think you need to have a soul to kind of act as the synthesizer there. Yep. Yeah. At least as it currently stands. I think we could probably talk in the future about like what that would look like for... There's some really fucking dark experiments about how to create key. Sure. Oh, I'm sure. Um, okay. Uh, well, I think that that's yeah, probably it for out. today. Yeah. Thank um, you. Really quick, do we want to answer... There is a question about the spires across uh, Everest and whether they matter to Arun and Pratisabi. I guess we kind of... No, I think we already answered that one. Okay. Thanks for yeah. letting us be your escape. If you forgot your worries and you want to make others forgetful, we're in every podcasting service known to humankind. So don't be greedy. Share us with your friends.
Did we discuss something that was confusing? We discuss things that are confusing. I think we need to stop posing that as a question or framing it as a question because it's never a question. We talked about some confusing as hell stuff and we always do. But uh, chances are that there's some context in the podcast description so you can go there. Um, that's oftentimes comes in the form of episode descriptions. You can also explore the subreddit or reach us at, at lorekeepers. Oh, sorry at the lore keepers on Twitter or email us at lorekeeperspodcast at gmail.com for questions or things you'd like to hear in future episodes. Uh, also worth noting, I wanted to say I have been spending a little bit of time in the record of the lore keeper. Um, when I've gotten some free time and I'm going through, I'm currently doing episode two and a half percent, which is episode 12. That's good one. Yeah. Uh, doing, uh, writing a little bit about some of those magical trade schools and um how they show up in in halume by the time that this <laughs> everyone is, gets to learn prestidigitation right by the time that this comes out there will probably be some some real ass articles because they're like under they're underway right now but uh yeah you can always check out the record at the lore keeper which is like basically just a google doc it's there's there should be a link in the podcast description um yeah thanks as always to Josh Silker for his composition of Land of Heroes, the Lord Keeper's theme. And thanks as well to Sam Wade for her new, her usual contribution to the Lord Keepers in the new album art, still new, mm-hmm. that Frank is getting tattooed on his left ass cheek. Uh, if I mean, are the shoulders the ass cheeks of the of the torso of the upper body? Uh, I think I think no, but okay. Well, whatever that the shoulder is of the upper body, that's where I'm getting it. Actually, whatever the shoulder is of the upper body. And I think probably by the time that this episode comes out, I will have probably gotten that tattoo. I I reached out, got the uh, I'm, I'm in conversation the tattoo parlor, finding the right Ooh. artist uh, who who can do the style right. I, the person that I, it, who might be uh, the one is, it's so colorful. They do really, really colorful shit, dude. I should share it with you because there's some, it's it's beautiful. And I was like, oh man, this might be perfect. So anyways, look forward to that maybe if that you care. I don't know. If you don't care, don't worry. There's always more, until next time, there's always more tales to tell. There's always more tattoos to get ass cheeked there's more i don't know whims to weave <laughs> bananas to hammock bananas to hammocks Sing- left left keeny left keenies to keeny. i just i just imagine that it's always over the left leg i don't know thanks everyone bye bye you got time that is open I do. Uh, all right, let's clap on uh, the turn of the minute. How you doing? I'm doing well, Frank. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. I uh, it's a it's a summer day. My monitor is basically off. Oh, there we go. Now I can hear myself a little bit more. Monitor, monitor, monitor. No monitor. 
I thought all for the a moment, monitor doesn't change anything. Okay. I thought cool. for a moment you were talking about your no monitor. Your computer there monitor. we go. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. You're staring at a black screen. You're like, I don't know what's going staring on. Staring at a black screen, going just monitor, 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 monitor. Hmm. Monitor. It's not out of character for you, Frank. No. <laughs> what? What is my character when it comes to comes to that? What is that? What does that imply? You're 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 a bit of a, a fun loving goofball. Oh yeah, I guess I am. You know, I would. You're I would a lovable agree with scamp. That. <laughs> a lovable scamp. Yeah. 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 You've um, got scamp, mad scamp energy. Scampergy. Oh, straight out of the gate, Frank. Oh yeah. I mean, hey, you know, at this point, this many years in, how can I not? That's true. Yeah. How are you? Uh, ooh, did you have lemonade there? Yeah, this is nice. nice glass of lemonade. Nice, nice, nice. Uh, 3.30, for reasons you might be aware of. Uh, oh, yeah. We didn't have a game today, right? No, no. (laughs) Okay, I didn't think so. I didn't see that we... Did we even figure out what our next game day was going to be? No, Marshall hasn't hasn't talked about it yet. I was actually talking with him just, um, like 10 minutes ago. We were playing some Minecraft, watching some, um, watching some of the League of Legends tournament in Europe. Oh, how's that going? Oh, it was a great game. It was an incredible game. Very, yeah? very close. Yeah. Oh, okay. Man, good game. I feel like, well, no, it helps me. It, it makes me sit up when I when I have to have to sort of, which is good. It means my voice comes through better. Yeah, I don't know. I haven't actually checked any of the magical items yet. I, I know I want to do that because I don't know what they uh, what they are yet. But how do you mean? The ones in the Discord for the D&D game. Didn't he like oh, yeah. do a big drop of like, hey, here's a bunch of stuff. I think it was we, I think we can presume it was provided by our God, but I'm not really sure. So actually, this is interesting. Uh, it seems like you have misunderstood what he was doing. Uh, he put down uh, a magical item as an example, one he made that is not something we're getting simply to say that we will get magic items next next session. We just already found okay. them. And he wants you to tell him what you want yours to be. Not as in, like, you tell him the stats, but, like, what kind of... Okay. Okay, gotcha. He wants a bit of personalization. But I'm, I'm sure if, if you're not interested in personalizing it, he'll, he can... No, no, I'll, 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 I'll look into it. It bugged me a lot at first. I'm rolling with it more. It's still not what I would prefer, but honestly, like uh, I, I, my frame of mind for what this game of D&D is for me has shifted a lot. It went from being like, I'm not really that engaged in the lore or the stories necessarily. Like, I, I don't know. Like it's, I think I don't mind be, uh, you know, playing a character 
um, you know, the character of Voso. And I think it's, you know, I, I don't know. I, I think there's, you know, enough stuff to, to keep me going there. And the combat's kind of fun. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting-ish. But mostly it's just an excuse to fucking hang out with a few people for a few hours on a Saturday. Like, I don't, I, you know, like when it became that and I was like, oh, I'll just get snacks and grab a beer or whatever. And like, that's what it is. That's fine. I'm fine with that. If that's, you know, if that's what it is for me. Yeah. And I feel like the atmosphere at the table is on the spectrum of serious role playing to like, you know, murder hobo beer and pretzel. It's. Not entirely into the beer and pretzel, but it's closer yeah, to beer. But it's definitely closer to murder hobo beer. I like that murder hobo beer and pretzel. Yeah, uh, that's that's, but that's very just like apt. you know it, 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 anyone you know anything goes kind of like everyone's chaotic neutral, just being like woohoo. Yeah, it's not quite, it's not quite like we don't give a fuck. We're just gonna do whatever the hell we want. Fuck the gods. Don't care if I die. It's not quite yeah. that, but it's like, you know, it's more that than the this is critical role. Yeah, approach. Yeah, it's funny because the other campaign I'm playing is like like we just got out of an arc where like my character had like a nervous breakdown and was like crying. And so it's like, like very different tone. Yeah. Wow. Very, yeah. Very, very different. tone. <laughs> oh my God. Wow. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Different, different ki- kinds of games for different situations, right? Exactly. Should we? Okay. Question. Answer. I have. Some, you know, the thing, the thing that I've been working on. Oh, yeah, the secret thing. I can unveil it to you today. Uh, Do you want to do the eps first or do you want to hear about it first? I don't know, Frank. Will it like you? I I, I think I want you to tell me what you prefer. How are you? Because you have all the you hold all the cards, Frank. I'm a I am in front of you. Without any power, a naked, <laughs> vulnerable thing. <laughs> before before you are on Mount Sinai, stripped of all your robes, <laughs> requested to see the naked face of God. Yeah. That's um, no, I, uh, I think... Like, hey, God, get nude with me. <laughs> <laughs> Is that what happened? I feel like there's something literally... Somebody was naked on Mount Sinai. It was either <laughs> Moses or God, and I can't remember who it was. I think Let's it was that I think it was that Moses was allowed to see God's naked back. Oh. Yeah, like that feels like a very ancient vulnerable thing. Yeah, well, I mean, there's so much okay, the imagery specifically in both like in I can only speak I don't I can't speak for um like Islamic tradition, but both in Judeo and uh, Jew, Jewish and Christian tradition the way that covenants worked, if somebody's back was turned to you, like that was spiritually significant. It was specifically referred to basically being like, I cannot be for you. I cannot be towards you. That was the whole covenant between like in the Old Testament. The way that they they would like literally like have blood of a sacrificial offering. Oftentimes, you know, it'd be like a ram or sometimes even just like a bird. Um, And then people would walk across that blood this is like, I mean, this is like pre-biblical shit. Um, fucking some of the oldest recorded cultures and stuff that we know. But anyways, that's like the tradition and stuff. But yeah, so having the being towards somebody or away from them was spiritually significant. Um, yeah. But 
Uh, <laughs> digressions aside, I think here's what I'd say. How much time do you have? I don't know how much time I have to because because I actually have to edit this podcast tonight. And actually, probably both of them tonight or whatever the two like, I think I have to do two. Well, here, here's an, here's a question for you with regard to time. Do we want to do two? I think we kind of need to because I'm going to be out okay. of town next week and okay. I got to. Okay. I got to make sure that we still have some stuff in the hopper. Like we might be one or two episodes ahead right now, but it, I think we're kind of near the end of our extra, extra buffer. Okay. So maybe we wait until the end. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, because otherwise we'll spend 45 minutes talking about this stuff right now. By the way, um, the next D&D book, what is it called? The Folk of the, the Feywild one. No, I don't know that one. Wizards of I'm just stretched. Feywild book. I don't know when it's going to come out. It, the Wild Beyond the Witchlight. It'll be That's a great it's, name. Yeah, I know, right? September 21st. Okay. Uh, I I kind of want to wait to talk about the, the alluvium until that comes out so I can read that and be like, okay, get some ideas. Sure. Yeah. Because recently, like I've been doing uh, on a bit of a Feywild kick because of that other campaign I was talking about. I play Eladrin oh. from the Feywild. Okay. That sounds, that sounds, I would, I would definitely be into talking about that come September. Like we can also yeah. allow the sort of the mid, uh, the, the br- seasonal break to sort of like extend into the beginning of the school year and stuff as we see fit. Like I, I don't yeah. really care that much. 